Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Rose Podcast number 918. This episode brought to you by Future Man. Future Man. A new Hulu original series. Uh, it's Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg. Uh, Seth's going to be on the podcast soon. Jonah, you sat in on that one too. I did sit in on it, yeah, yeah. Jo- Jonah's like coming back around the Nerdist podcast. Matt, we're still not sure what time zone he's in right now. <laughs> but anyway, Future Man. Uh, Future all- Man. Starring Josh Hutcherson, Future Man. Future Fox, Man. A janitor by day, hapless gamer by night. He was tasked when traveling back in time to prevent the extinction of humanity, which is brought on by the cure for herpes. So don't miss this epic action comedy series. All episodes now are streaming only on Hulu. It's... I didn't say it yet. <laughs> I, but you're still, I didn't say it yet. I want to be right on top of it. Future. Future Man. Future is down for your pool side. That's not what we rehearsed. Future Man. We don't sit and rehearse these intros for hours <laughs> on end for you to come in and improvise, Jonah. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know that. I know that well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry, I was supposed to do that before, when you were saying the other line. Yeah, Katie, you, you said it all that in together, you so Jonah's split just agreeing on with me the, for everything. When you're in final draft, you got to split mm-hmm. the dialogue, so I know to do it at right, the same right, time. Right, 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 right. Yeah, okay, okay. good. I'm going to be in Portland at uh, Helium, December 7 through 9, mm-hmm. so please come out to that. Helium, Portland, great club. Portland, great city. Great city. Portland, Oregon. Uh, Katie, Katie Levine. Uh, I just want to remind people that we have some other great shows on the network, like the Todd Glass Show, which is nonstop laughs from Todd Glass and his friends. He playing more music? <laughs> more jingles. More jingles. Uh, Malton on Movies uh, with legendary movie critic Leonard Malton, Hound Hall Discussion Series, hosted by Moshe Kasher, which dives into interesting topics every month. And also the Nerd Melt Showroom has fun, exciting, and totally affordable comedy shows every single night. There's stand-up, live podcasts, improv, so much more. So you can find all... Uh, tickets and info at nerdmeltla.com. I don't believe it. Really huge lack of Jonah Radio in that list of podcasts on the network. You know what? I'm choosing three at a time and highlighting those. That's all right. It's to be a- fair, you did... You did abandon that for I a didn't, while. I didn't. I didn't well, I, we never bad. said we were on a schedule. <laughs> we said we were going to keep it fun. And you try to wrangle... Like, it's like... Think of me and Matt on our worst day, and it's Cash and Neil are ten times worse. <laughs> <laughs> I instantly got you know, a picture for listeners of both. You're gonna love that. Do you have anything you want to you want to plug? Uh, no, I don't. I don't have anything. Um, 
I don't have anything to plug. Um, Mystery Science Theater 3000? Yeah, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is uh, on Netflix, 14 episodes. uh, In America is on VRV, Verve.co. First season free in front of the paywall. Second season, you got to sign up. Verve also has uh, Harmon Quest. Yes, yes. Uh, Harmon Quest, uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me, the show. Yep. Like a, all the little CISO orphans, a couple of us went over to vrv.co um, and watch, uh, yeah, watch Hidden America. I'm very proud of it. And then Turkey Day Marathon coming up on Thanksgiving. Fantastic. Uh, this episode is Hari Kondabolu, uh, who is promoting The Problem with Apu, which mm-hmm. is a documentary premiering November 19th on True TV. And uh, he's a, a good friend and a great comic and mm-hmm. was on At Midnight a bunch. And uh, I really enjoyed this documentary. I really did. I went into it. I mean, I talked to him about it. And I went into it like, what is this all about? And I watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, well, it's, it's really good. He makes a lot of great points. Yeah. So, uh, but, I, but I really, I adore Hari. And, uh, and, I, and it was really, he's just, he's just great. He's such a he's smart a guy. He's a good, solid dude. He's a solid dude. Really funny. If you have a chance to see him, he's touring right now. December 1st, he'll be at the Fox Theater uh, in Oakland. December 7th, Texas Theater in Dallas. Uh, December 8th, Austin um, at Stateside at the Paramount. Uh, 12-9, Houston Secret Group. Uh, December 10th, New Orleans Joy Theater. The 13th, Aladdin in Portland, which is great. And the 15th, um, in December 15th, he's recording at the Neptune in Seattle, which is another great uh, place. And Bobcat's directing his special. That's right. Yeah, Hari's a really great... He has a great album on uh, Kill Rockstar's records. It's really good. Yeah, it's (laughs) a a fantastic uh, comedy record. So we, we... Go get his stuff, support him. Excellent. Here's the Nerdist Podcast number 918 with Hari Kondabolu. Katie, please roll the thing. Future man. (laughs) I didn't even say it that time. You did in the future. Shit. (laughs) Now entering Nerdist.com. Sort of just talking about like the, the, the pre-conversation was uh, had to do with um, when companies try to force people to go to internet portals. Mm. Then almost in defiance, the audience will go like, uh, "No, because you told me to." <laughs> and a lot of times, it has to do with just not having a good interface, or not having a good user experience, or not you know, or only having one thing that people want to see. But in general, you cannot. It's 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 like it's like trying to force a tornado to go in a direction. Like, well, it's going to go where it's going to go. Right. Yeah. Right. And you so, know. what do you think then? A la carte, all over the place. That's that's the way stuff should be. I don't think all. I, I I don't think I think people will not ultimately enjoy a la carte because you would psychologically be um, in the undertow of of choice, which mm. is very stressful. Yeah. Right. And you also don't. I I don't think most people want to do the work of. I'll, I'll grab. They don't want to cherry pick their own stuff. Yeah. People just want a platform that goes here, and they go, okay, that's good. That that is right. more than you know. I can more than fifty percent justify. You know, there's just enough here that I will give you five dollars a month for this thing. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, definitely. They almost want what TV used to be with five channels, and these are the choices. So I'll pick one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also, people, you know, we're so. Um, we're so spoiled as consumers now yeah. because we can get exactly what we want however and whenever we want it that there's no – there used to be like a, a real compromise 
where you'd watch something and go, yeah, this, you know, this wouldn't be my first choice, but it's on and there's nothing else right, on. So right, right, now yeah. it's like, not only do you have to be 100% into something, but if it's not exactly what people want, it's like their fucking uh, enemy. Yeah. It's like, this needs to go away. Like, well, you could just not watch it. No, I want this fucking pulled from the. Yeah. Like who does who goes to a museum and then just sticks around the painting they hate the most just to right, talk right, to right, other right, people right. about this it? This needs to go away. This needs to go away. Should be blue. <laughs> it's called blue. <laughs> How do reruns of old shows survive then? Because like growing up, it was like you went home after school and there was all these reruns, and yeah. I'd see shows I've never even seen before that yeah. were canceled. And that's how I, I knew. But why would kids now do that? There's no reason to do I that. I don't know if kids yeah. would, but I think there's enough. There, there really still are enough people in the country, in a country of 350 million people. There still are enough people yeah. that listen to radio and, you know, right. watch, you know, will watch like the My 13 and they'll just yeah. watch old reruns. I watch yeah. My 13. Well, because especially in a time that feels so tumultuous, I think people are going to race to nostalgia because it's very comforting and you don't right. have to think about it. You know what do you what do you watch what what what, what are your nostalgia uh, choices? I mean, The Simpsons often. Yeah, yeah. seasons one to ten, right? Are still you know. You go up to ten. Or... A lot of people don't go up to ten. Really? I always hear people cutting off around seven, eight. I I I went I went to about ten, and then it gets really. Yeah, you know. Caitlin Gill uh, says that she's like she's like there's another golden era like seasons like sixteen through. 18 That's or in the 19. early 2000s. Like I can't remember which exactly she said. She's like she's like no, there was another golden That's era hilarious. that no one talks about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the documentary The Second Golden <laughs> Era <of> Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on your documentary by the way. Thanks. The Problem with a Poo, which is appearing on True TV uh Sunday. Yes. Um did you see it yet? You haven't seen it cuz it hasn't aired. I haven't seen it because it has an air. So, uh, yeah. I have a link to it. I'll, I'll send it to you, and then you should watch it. Cool. Go it back airs. in time. Send it to me. <laughs> and I can <laughs> engage so, our friend. It's the Bill and Ted thing. <laughs> I'm going to remember to I go remember back in time. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Jonah goes, hey, it was hey. great. Yeah. But you just, a little blood comes out of my nose because the past has been changed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Are they making a third one? Bill and Ted, because they were they said they were going to. They always talk about it, you know. Um, Alex Winter's been on the podcast a couple times. He says there's a story, you know. Every once in a while, he talks to Keanu, and Keanu seems to be into it. And you'll hear a tittering of it on the internet, like, "Oh, it's gonna," and yeah. then and then it doesn't happen. It would be rad if though Ted does have all the skills that John Wick has now. <laughs> like now he's just this badass fighter. That would and like be... a post apocalypse. Like they messed up the. The future so badly that yeah. now, like they both have like these John Wick skills. That Just, would be that would be incredible. Yeah, but uh, but I really did love the documentary. You did a really great job with it, and for a lot. And, and I asked you before, like, well, how much should we talk about it? In the sense that if people haven't seen it, uh, we don't want to spoil anything. But at the same time, they know they know. I mean, the the the, the thesis statement is in the title. Yes. So I feel like if you're comfortable with it, we should talk about it. And even if we talk about some things and people haven't seen it yet. It's still worth watching. Like yes. it's you shouldn't. This this is not a this is not a kind of thing you should be like oh spoiler like no you should still watch it because yeah. it's yes. culturally important. Yes. Um, and I imagine have you done radio interviews yet? Have you done any? Oh, radio? I've done uh, everything. At and, this point. Yeah. So because what I what, well, my my heart went out to you for the like morning radio show onslaught where you get up at like three a.m. and you do like three hours, and I and I'm I'm just guessing that what you've probably had to deal with is just like. Some, you know, really, uh, some of the more aggressive morning shows are like, hey, what's the, wh- 
what's the problem? I mean, it's like, what, is comedy not allowed anymore? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, this yeah. guy over here. Yeah. Right. The responses that, I see on your Twitter is like oh, people boy. going like, it's a character. Right. Like, that's like the thing that oh, people go for. It's, it's a character. Uh, 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 Apu just got offensive now. All of a sudden, 30 <laughs> years in, you're just trying to cash in uh, based on uh, going after the Simpsons. Um, oh, I guess you only worry about Indian characters being offensive. You're selfish. Oh, wow. Um, you can't do anything <laughs> yeah. in America anymore. Oh, boy. Political, <laughs> politically correct culture is destroying everything. And then there's the series of different types of harm and death. Yes. That will, and that's just, yeah. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, I think <laughs> even when I heard God. about what it was, I had a minute of, like, defensiveness of, like, but wait. But yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because it's it's so much a part of you know that show yes. is so much a part of who we are as, as comedy entities because it you know it was so influential and it's very you know like we wa- we still watch a lot of us watch it still you know well I wonder if it's kind of the thing I remember being a kid and seeing the Mickey Rooney you know the Chinese character from yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's, Tiffany's yeah. and being like whoa that's kind of crazy and then having adults go it's not crazy like you know it's just I wonder because we just kind of grew up with it that you know we didn't really it's like not, that's what people are doing now. They're like, oh, but it's been around forever, right? But right. Uh, but but you know, and I coincidentally, um, Dana Gould record Dana Gould recorded a couple weeks ago, and that podcast will go up next week. If I had known he was in the documentary, I could have asked him about it because mm. we had a whole conversation about how it can be it can be tricky to go back and look at comedy from other eras and get mad at it because it's like well at the time because I watched 16 Candles not that long ago right and I was like whoa like there were a couple like holy shit you know it's like especially around the Long Duck Dong character and I was like fuck I just kind of got sweaty and uh, but, but you go well you know at the time that they wouldn't it wouldn't have they wouldn't have thought like this is really offensive it's like this that's part of what the comedy landscape was at the time right and as you evolve it's good to be able to look back and go well we wouldn't do that now we've learned that that's that's not okay right well part of it is also the perspective like for me it wasn't like a, a looking back and thinking about it it was like being in the moment yes right and i think for a lot of asian americans we talked to randall park which didn't make the film ultimately but you know randall talked about long duck dong and his experience with that and it was like a similar thing to the apu thing it's this idea of this character defining who you are. Right. Which seems ridiculous because, you know, there's a lot of ridiculous characters that are like the side of a movie, just like a sidekick, a ridiculous character, but you don't get defined by that person. Right. You're just, that's just a character. But right. for us, we get defined by it. Right. Like that's all you get. So, you know, I was asked a question recently, like, you know, does, does it make you feel weird that people are going to watch The Simpsons now and feel weird about it when they see Apu? And to me, I'm like, I don't think it's weird because I always felt weird about it. Right. It was like you watch a show that you love. I love The Simpsons and really influenced by The Simpsons. And you're watching it. And I don't even like – it's weird because Apu's not a bad character. I think he's fundamentally flawed, but that doesn't mean he's a bad character. He's like still a good character. And you're watching the show and it's a good plot. And all of a sudden there's a joke in there that is so either racist or absurd or it it becomes clear that the character – isn't written the, the show isn't written for you you're not in the audience nobody thought about you 
that joke's about you and your family, and you are irrelevant. And it feels it must feel like your friend. It must feel like you have a really good friend. Yes. Who all yeah. of a sudden takes a shot, and you're like, I'm like, what? Hey, here. <laughs> we were friends. <laughs> what are you doing? For them? Uh, yeah. For them? And also, yeah. oh, I, you get it. And also, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. 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 And also, I do, I, I, I do want to say because it, you know, to to, to say like, oh, or now people are going to be uncomfortable. It's like. There's nothing wrong with having to think when you know, mm-hmm. like if you're watching something and, and going, oh maybe this is, you know like maybe it's okay to think about whether or not this is okay. And I'm not trying to I'm not you know I'm not trying to kiss your ass or sound like I'm super woke or whatever. But I do. But you you really did in the course of this documentary uh, change my mind about how I felt about it. Huh. Which now I go okay fine because now I'm in the camp of. Hey, look, you know, the character... And this is probably part of the problem with having a show that has been on for this long is that society has sort of evolved past where they started. Right. And, you know, I, 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 you're, you're right. Like, when you, when you sort of present the idea of, like, how is this different than someone doing any other race and doing, like, a characterization of, you know, like a, a, an African-American character or an Asian character, whatever, you go... Oh yeah, it's really you would not let a you would not have a white guy now do if this show started now you wouldn't have you wouldn't allow that to happen a white guy doing sure. an Indian character's voice. I mean, to me, part of it is just each with people of color any representation that isn't like, you know, white, male, straight, cis, like every representation that's not in those four, there's so few that each one is weighted more. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like People are like, well, how about you? There's Groundskeeper Willie, mm-hmm. right? And you don't have any issues with Groundskeeper Willie? I'm like, look, like, first of all, I didn't know any kids who were Scottish growing up. I don't know how many people did. One. Two, there's other Scottish representations. Three, whiteness is interesting because it kind of eats up ethnicity. People have all these different cultures and parts of who they are. And then all of a sudden, when you ask somebody what they are, they just say white. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, you have something else. And I think whiteness does that. So someone can have Scottish heritage, and it's like, well, Groundskeeper Willie has no impact on me whatsoever. Meanwhile, if you're an Indian American and this is all you have, like, you don't have anything to balance it. There is not a, like... Well, well, okay, well, there's this immigrant camp, but here's the convenience store owner that's brilliant and actually has a more realistic accent and has a life and has his own sense of humor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you don't ever have anything else, and that becomes the, that becomes the tricky part. Well, I think also, too, and, and there's just this idea of, of whiteness is that, you know, if... If you look, dif- if you look differently, yes. then it's just easier for people to kind of marginalize or throw you in a box. And I, I mean, I, I would, you know, I would have to ask Scottish people in America how they feel, but I would, I would tend to guess right. that they don't often feel subjugated uh, or like, ah, let's put these uh, Scotties over here. Right. And that, like it right. doesn't, you know, if, if you kind of said like, Hey, what's up? You're, you're a ginger. They'd be like, ah, fuck off. You know, like they yeah, would just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it wouldn't really, and it probably has to do with the fact that, you know, they're also white. Right. So I really do understand the idea of having a white guy do this character, even though it's like he's been doing it for a long time. Like, yeah. well, yeah, but it doesn't mean he has to do it forever. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. And Hassan Minaj had a really great solution, yeah. which was for... <laughs> For Apu, just one day go. Oh yeah! By the way, I'm from you know I'm not yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, from the Midwest, which I thought was a, which is a great solution because yeah. if he just one day said, oh yeah, you know actually I'm from Ohio 
And, uh, you know, I was just, I don't know, I thought you wanted me to be this guy and it helped business or whatever, but I'm really this guy. Then it addresses that they were doing that in a way that allows them to sort of like just kind of retire him. Right. Or or at least like have him talk like that. Right. Like change uh, change the character fundamentally, but also it justifies the previous 30 years. And if you don't like it, you still got 600 episodes. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Seymour Skinner is Armin Tanzarian. I mean, you can change. Characters also die. They disappear. Yeah, Maude Flanders, she's gone. So, I mean, it's a cartoon. You can do whatever you want, which is part of the frustration. The, I mean, I think my solution would be you know, if you're going to say that, well, it's based on a stereotype and stereotypes have some basis in reality. Well, a lot of South Asians who who have worked in convenience stores end up buying the convenience stores and buy other convenience stores. And then they employ other people. And there's tons of stories of folks who become moguls in that way. Yeah. So why not give him some upward mobility? Let him be like a counter to Burns. Like right. that would create a whole different set of plots that we've never seen before. Or like give his kids a voice. Let let our generation of Indian Americans be represented in his children. Like right. there's a whole bunch of plots points there i mean it's the simpsons you can really do whatever you want and he yeah. has eight kids and, yes. yeah and also <laughs> and also uh you know when people say uh what's not what, what's the big deal it's like well if you're white it's not a big deal because it doesn't affect you right it's like it, do, it yes to you it's not a big deal because you don't you don't suffer any of the emotional you know but if a white per, let's say a white person lived in india and there was a show on indian television where there's a billion people yeah and that that character was like you know, like a cowboy or like right, right. A, a stereotypical Southerner with a mashed up like nine Southern regional accents. And everyone was everyone saw you and they'd be like, hey, it's Tex. Yeah, I'm not Tex. Uh, you know, I'm from, uh, you know, I'm from I live in California. Not all yes. white people are like that. You know, yeah. then I think people would re- I think then I think the white people would really understand. But it's yeah. white people are not a minority here. So it's it's literally virtually impossible for anyone to understand well the only i think issue with that um analogy is that white person would be seen as so fucking cool in india really because he's a white person yes <laughs> are you kidding me we're still like some of us are still colonized a little bit like there's <laughs> some of that it doesn't just disappear it's like oh my god it's tex like, <laughs> let's get some, no you don't need to to pay here tex yeah yeah like uh, after i don't think i think howdy. it's uh, oh lighter skin oh my god a white person in india yeah that is that's oh money god, that's yeah. prestige that's Shit. you know i mean Gotta i go think in our show you know like you know, our shows go over there like people you know people see the simpsons there they see all our stuff there so you know i it, it's this really like you know i i think a lot about that idea of like we base our self-image based on what we see. So, like, growing up, at a certain point, initially I loved the character, because, holy shit, we exist. Right. Mm. We didn't exist. And all of a sudden, we exist. And then you realize, oh, this is the only way we exist. I know that on Monday, I'm going to have to address whatever Apu said the day before, because everyone was a Simpsons fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also, at a certain point, you start to realize, like, oh, my God, why do I have to deal with being this color? Why do I have to deal with my parents sounding like that? Why do I have to – I don't want my friends to come over and have to hear my parents because are they going to make fun of them? I don't want them to know anything about our culture because that might be used later. And it's all this stuff that's like, you know, I was born in this country. I'm a New Yorker. And all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, I don't get to be American completely. It's a really – it's it'll mess with your head for a while. Yeah. Well, I saw. Um, I, I went to an event the other night, and Shonda Rhimes spoke. Yeah, and she get. It, it's not going to be televised anywhere, but it was one of the most incredible speeches. And it started with her saying, like, her least favorite question, and she gets asked all the time, is, you know, why is diversity important right now? <laughs> and it's just like, first of all, like, you shouldn't have an answer to that. Nah. But second of all, 
she says, look, it, it, you know, it's an annoying question because it, it, it doesn't focus on the fact that I'm a writer. Mm. It focuses on the fact that I'm black and not a, a writer, you know? And she said, but if you really want me to answer this question, uh, she, and she said in this speech, like, this is the last time I'm going to, this is the only time I'm really going to oh, answer wow. this question. And it was this really beautiful, um, it was really this beautiful idea of, you know, because I think people who are, def- you know, who are like, defensive about it or, the, or people that are like oh snowflakes what do you got yeah. like it's like it's it's not about filling quotas it's about representation right it's about you know this country is a melting pot and you know the majority yes the majority of people in this country are white but a lot of people are not and so giving everyone making everyone feel like i see myself on television represented in a way that I can be proud of right. and it inspires me to feel like I can do great things or I can do that. And Shonda Rhimes said she didn't see a lot of people when she was growing up on television like her. And then she saw Oprah, who and who actually presented her award, and Oprah made her realize, oh, I can do that. Right. And, yeah. and ultimately where she landed was that's why diversity is important and inclusion is important because it's it's about representing Making everyone feel like we're represented and we are, we matter, and we yeah. all have things to say, and we're not just, you know, um, we're not just relegated to like a one-dimensional caricature of, right. of of something. Yeah, you know, in a weird version of that, like that's what that's why I wanted to move to the mainland from Hawaii, like like as fast as I could, because like in Hawaii, like I I you know I I didn't feel like I belonged. Like it's like you know I got messed with just for being tall being a nerd but then also being white right and like it's like but then all the stuff i saw on tv was coming from like you know california i was like i got to get over there right because then i can fit in (laughs) (laughs) and it was it's such a weird like opposite version of like where it's like i I was like if i go out there then the kind of like the way i talk and the way i like uh like to joke around like it's like they're making that stuff out there and if i get Uh out there i'll feel like more like I'm a part of something, right? And I do in my own family, like, right, 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 right. Full of like you know brown, like it's like my dad's side of the family, you know, they're all they're all brown, yeah. And so I would just like even family functions and Thanksgiving, I would still get like you know made fun of. <laughs> yeah, right. So of he's like dumb Howley, you know. Yeah. So it's, like, yeah, and yeah. and you know, and, and I hope I hope it doesn't sound. I hope I don't sound clumsy as like the whitest guy in the planet. Uh, you know, is like like walking through it. But I, I would really love to hear more because I think yeah. I think when people. And this documentary is such a – it's also just a really great comic piece because you, you are telling the story about yourself. Mm-hmm. It's the story of you but set against this larger, this larger issue. And so I feel like, you know, I feel like I really got to know you a bit better just, just by watching this. which is what, huh. you know, like what a comedy <laughs> piece should really do is, instead of just being funny but also being insightful. I'm like, oh, I really get it. That's a piece of him. I really get a piece of this guy's soul. It was funny, right? Yes. Okay, good. All right. Because at the end of the day, I'm still a comic, right? So, at the, like, if you're going to go after The Simpsons, you better be funny. Right. Yeah. Like, there's no, if this thing ends up being serious, it's, I, I failed. Like, I, it has to be funny, otherwise it doesn't work. Because it's in The Simpsons tradition of critiquing popular culture. Right. I chose the biggest popular culture, piece of popular culture, which is The Simpsons, as far right. as I'm concerned. So, um that was important to me. I mean, yeah, it was. It had to be personal. There has to be someone to follow in the story. Yeah, and I think you have to be a fan of it too to yes. be able to like 
take it on because you're like it's like listen i think it's great but here's a here's a problem oh my god i mean it's, it's shaped so much of how i view comedy like you're allowed to be smart you're some jokes aren't for everybody like every time you watch the simpsons there's like oh i didn't get that easter egg that's yeah. an easter egg i didn't get it um i i knew that like you can critique popular culture and you can be political and silly at the same time like all these things being there in the same place like i, I i'd never seen anything like that before yeah. i mean that it's incredible. So as a fan, like that's why it was tricky. And I think when people say, well, you clearly hate The Simpsons, it bothers me because like, no, it's like if you listen to sports talk radio and a guy's going off on like, uh, oh, God, I can't believe this Mets pitching staff and everyone's getting injured and now Syndergaard's injured. And what's wrong with the trainers? And they need another bat. Uh, <laughs> suspense isn't hitting this year. Who is this manager? We got to get a new manager. Like, like, that sounds like, like Katie. Like, 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 sir, do you hate the Mets? No, I love the Mets. Yeah. It's like, that's what you do when you're a fan yeah, yeah, you, exactly. you want it to be the best it can be yeah and so i'm the same way about the simpsons can i can i say something about like it was interesting just the the whole discussion of like we mentioned shonda rhymes about like the importance of diversity yeah i've been thinking like you know just over the last week or two just thinking about that i think i've broken it down to, into three things i think one is decency which i think is part of like what Shonda was saying, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that like we all have a, a piece in this, right? So, you know, growing up as a person of color watching TV, especially in the previous era before we had all this, you know, so much more media, like you had to be able to humanize white people. You have to. Because if you were to say, I can't relate to this, there's nobody that looks like me, you can't watch anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if a story is nothing like your family or your life as a teenager, you still find the human connections. Like, well, yeah, it's not my family, but I understand the idea of family. And I understand, like, the, the tensions with parents. And, like, you know, I'm a teen, and that's not my life. And I don't, they don't need to deal with certain things I deal with, but I get it, you know? You have to find those things. And I feel like that's what frustrates me with the discussions of diversity. Like, well, that's not believable. Nobody's going li- to watch a thing with that person as the lead. Or that's not, like, it doesn't make sense for a person of color to be that. Or, no, that's a black film because it's, like, black actors. And it's right. like, when I hear that, it's like saying... I, a white person in the audience, cannot see my shared humanity with this person, (laughs) and therefore, it's not for me. Right. And that is such an upsetting idea, because we don't have a choice but to do that. And that's important to see each other's humanity. That's such a fundamental part of all of this. Do you you feel like the millennials and even the the younger generation that are, you know, toddlers now, little kids now, do you feel like they're seeing less color because because of the internet, because, hmm. you know, it's like just to some degree, as much as people yeah, yeah. kind of chunk off in their own kind of specific little forums and groups, yeah. but, that, um, but, but that so many people are interacting so much more now? I, I think so. they see color, but it looks different. Okay. It looks much different, I think, because they see fuller pictures of people. Like, you know, when you only have a poo, you only see a little sense of something, and it's like a white person's view of you. Now yeah. you, like, you have creators that are people of color. Like, Issa Rae is sharing her story and didn't need HBO. HBO needed her. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, like, Aziz. You have Mindy. You have all these people that are creating their own stories. And you have kids who are fluent in the internet from, from like, the get-go. Like, there are 14-year-olds that know so much more than I did, like, when I was 20. Right. Like, it, that alone changes everything. Like, I think um, uh, it's not as simple as, like, 
all people are like this, or I don't have other images of brown people. Like, yeah, the internet, you'll, you'll see other images of brown people. Yeah, and, and I thought... Having sex with each other. <laughs> <laughs> I also... filter that out. <laughs> I thought um, Asif Manvi had a very great point, because you, so good you were film. talking yeah. about, uh, you know, you talked to him about, well, is it... You know, is it weird when, when we do it? Like, if we take a character and we, you know, there's yeah. a... And, and he makes a great point of, like, well, we've earned the... Like, yeah. it's our culture, so it's not... And, and the way that I think of it, for, you know, for anyone... Because you, you see this reaction online a lot, where people go, oh, it's okay for your people to do it, but not me to do it. And it's like, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and, and, the, and please, Let, yeah. please tell me if this is a flawed analogy. But the way that I would try to relate it to those people who can't seem to wrap their minds around why it's okay is go, okay, look, you have probably said to your friends before, my mom's such a bitch. Boy, my mom's a bitch. But if someone else said, your mom's a bitch, you'd be like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah, no, that is. It's like, it's your family. You have earned the credit, the, the, the familial credit or the cultural credit to make it an authentic but when it's an outsider, it's like, well, that's just mean. Right, right. Well, if, like, people have asked, would it have been better if someone else other than Hank Azaria did the voice if it was a brown person? And no, the character still would have sucked, but at least, it, <laughs> but at least a brown person would have gotten paid. Right. Like, who made the money off it, right? Right. And who got the Emmys and all the rest of it. Uh, doing a voice that even Hank says is completely inaccurate, and if he had to do it over, it would have sounded different because he couldn't master the voice. He had to do it quickly, and that's what he came up with. Right. Yeah, it's so, like he was, he's already there for other voices, and they're like, oh, hey, we got a new character showing right. up. That's, uh, well, you know, it's weird because there's a couple of different stories. One story that we covered two of the stories. One story is that they told him to do it, and he's like, I don't do an accent well. And he's, it's stereotypical, and they're like, no, it's fine. Another story, which Mike Reese told during a, a Cracked podcast, was that it wasn't supposed to be an Indian character. It was written in notes. It's too cliched, no Indian accent. Hank came in and did the voice. Everyone laughed, so now all of a sudden it's the voice. And there's a third thing I heard from a New York Times writer who was researching it for an article they wrote that like apparently in some old TV guide, Matt Groening apparently told Hank to do the voice. So nobody knows exactly why this happened, but I find it interesting that nobody wants to take accountability for it because yeah. they're embarrassed. Like this is It's weird. It's a yeah. weird character to look at. They also, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, it was so long ago they yeah. legitimately might, might not I even remember. remember. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been yeah, just yeah. even like whoever like was like in the booth at right, the time. Right. You know. And I and I don't get the sense that there was any malicious no, intent. It was just no. like, oh, it's you know, because to to anyone something that is different, yes, it has some comedic value because like, well, it's different. That's right. It's yeah. different. Oh, it's funny, you know, because I don't. And so they probably were just like, oh, it's silly, and it you know, it was at the time that it came out, it was not that was not an uncommon, you know, but it's just. It's just like being open that over time, as you start understanding things and the humanity of people, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe, yes, we did do that for a long time, but that doesn't mean we have to continue doing that just because we did. Sometimes I think it's worse. I think it's worse sometimes when it's not malicious. Sure. Because it's so, like, systemic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, there's an interesting parallel uh, between what Whoopi said uh, in in the piece, Whoopi Goldberg's in it, and she talks about how she has a... um, a uh, collection of black Americana, like blackface and stuff. She calls it a Negrobilia collection. And, <laughs> and it, they, they have shots of it, and it's just all oh, this, like, horrendous. you know, really? just, like, bot- like you know, at bottles of things and posters. Oh, and it's wow. Just, it's like Cookie every- jars yeah. with minstrel this, images, wow. bla- blackface, and, like, it's really awful. And she keeps it there so, pe- like, when people enter her house, like, they have to acknowledge this is the way it was. 
And it's like you can't, like, history is important to understand the context we live in now, which is kind of the point of the film as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, well, this is clearly made to hurt black people. And she's like, well, I don't even think it's that complicated. I think, like, people thought, well, this is, this is funny. This will sell cookie jars. And then I think about Dana in his part. He says that, well, I say it's kind of mechanical that there's, like, four moves. Like, he says, like, you know, like, Burns has these moves and Apu has these moves. And you have to write a show for 30 years. Like, that's, those are the choices you have to make, right? And I said it was mechanical. And he said, well, that's, that's just the way it is. If you're going to get it done... You have to, this is effective and it has to get done. It's funnier when he sounds like this. It's funnier when Barney's drunk. It's funnier when, when Smithers is, is not out, you yeah. know? And when I think about that, that's just like the cookie jars. It's the same thing. It's the systemic, like, we got to get the job done. This is not malicious. We're not being mean. It's just that like it works and we have to get the job done. Right. You know, which, I mean, to, first of all, let me also say Dana is incredible in the film. Yeah. Because he's the only one who's honest. Right. Everybody else, like, doesn't want to talk, like, talks. People are like, why, why was he so, like, such an asshole about it? He's like, he wasn't being an asshole. Do you, want me, do you want him to sugarcoat it? Right. He said nothing I didn't know already. Right. I was shocked because he was so honest about it. Right. Wow. Like, of course, uh, like, a lot of white people find it funny. That's why the character exists. Like, right. of course, these, this is how you make a show. This is how shows go. You just have to do it quickly. If this, I knew this. Yeah. You, you get limited with choice when you have to do that. So... I think Dane is incredible because it, that is the problem. It's not so much of the maliciousness. It's the, we don't have time to think. Right. We're making a product. We don't have, this is, this is art, but now it's a product. Right. We have to get it done. And now, oh, Apu action figures are selling? All right, make sure we sell those too. They make money. Right. It's all it comes down to. But, but you know, but that's the other thing why I love about the, the, the piece is that it, you know, it does, it does challenge you to think. Yeah. And, and, it may, and it puts you in a place, and, and you know what? It's not, you know, it's not always fun to be challenged to think because no. it's like, well, I already set this on autopilot. I don't have to think about that again. <laughs> right, 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 right. And when you when you when you have to sit down and think about something, and you know, and you know, no one ever wants to think that they're an asshole. So you go like, well, it's not. I mean, it, what's the harm? Because you don't want to have to face the fact of like, oh. Maybe this is hurting people's feelings because right, right. then you would have to face that you would have been complicit in that in some right, way right. without really realizing or recognizing this larger systemic problem that you're referring to. And and then at the end, I was like, and, and my wife, too, was, you know, when I told her about this, because the problem with the poop, she was like, oh, I love a poo. And then we watched it and she was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's got some points. And I go, yeah, you know, and, and if that means that that I have to change how I feel about a character or change how I, then that's, you know, like the, the world is like our culture right now is at an incredible, it's an incredible upheaval period with things changing. You know what? And good. Like these are things that need to change and growth is uncomfortable. Yes. Growth is hard, Yes, but you have to do it because things if they're too comfortable or they're too complacent, things are either growing or they're dying. And if you're so worried about something that like, oh, no, it's going to hurt to grow, then you'll just start to die because yes. you will become irrelevant or it won't, it won't evolve. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, sometimes you fucking have to get uncomfortable if you want to grow so we can get to a better place. It's also it's not only personal growth. Like, I think this is the other, another point about why diversity is important. It's creative growth. Right. Like, mm-hmm. if you see Apu, like, it's a lot of the same jokes over the course of the 28 years. Like, whenever it's about ethnicity, it's always, okay, like, multiple-headed gods, multiple arms, a billion people, arranged marriage, curry, 
like his whole identity is the Quickie Mark or the Himalayas original Quickie Mark. Mm-hmm. Billy, like it's just the same jokes over and over and over. And it's kind of creatively like that's that's limiting. If you give him more depth and if you have characters that are more interesting, you know that's just better writing. And also like. You know, uh, I think I think the Z's or Alan or somebody had, had made this point, and I really do think this too. It's like because our voices as people of color, or as women or LGBTQ folks, because the voices were suppressed for so long, everything is new and interesting. Right. You know, everything is like oh, I've never thought of that because it's never been heard. It was we weren't allowed to talk. Right. right. Like so, for all the people that say like, why didn't you're complaining about this now? No, I complained for 28 years. I just finally get heard now. Well, yeah, because yeah. social media has given everyone a voice. Where were right. you supposed to talk about this There's in no 1995 ca- or 1998? You, you know, like you, you'd have to go to like, you, you know, like to a small alternative newspaper right. in yeah. the village. Right. And, you know, but then at that point, it's people who are reading that already probably agree with right, you. Exactly. And so yes. you're not really, you're not reaching beyond the choir. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that like, you know, it's weird for the, people keep asking me like, what, what, how come you hate Abu so much? And I'm like, I'm 35 years old. To be honest, I don't really give a shit. Right. Like, this is, it's been on 30 years. I haven't, like, most of us haven't seen it past season 10. Right. Like, this is, um, this is more about the bigger issues that you and I are, you know, are talking about right now. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, these bigger things uh, about representation. And this is just a great example. At the end of the day, it's not even about a poo. Like, I just want to see more people share their stories. Like, this Apu story is an old story for me. Like, it wasn't... Like, I already knew what this story was. The research was fun. I got to interview a bunch of great people with similar experiences. But it's an old story that we've talked about for, like, 25 years. Right. So it's almost like we have to get everyone on the same page. That's kind of what Fresh Off the Boat is. Mm-hmm. Fresh Off the Boat is not Eddie Wong's story anymore. That's long gone. That's how they got the show through the door. Now it's the Asian-American family sitcom that should have been around 15 years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're we're making up for lost time, getting everyone on the same page so it's easier to push forward. And I feel like that's what I want to do with this film. Like, you know, uh, I don't want to be the Apu guy. Like, that's not, <laughs> like, as a career thing, I don't want to be the, the, the one who hates The Simpsons, even though that's not even true. Like, I did this because I think there's a gap to fill. That's yeah, and, and also, you know... It, it, because, especially if someone takes the time to watch the documentary, yeah. and even if someone violently disagrees with your thesis statement, I think they should still watch it. Yes. And I think they should still at least try to understand the uh, your, your, your point of view because it's, it is so clearly not about like – I'm trying to get a piece of The Simpsons, or I'm trying, or this idea of like I'm trying to get rich off The Simpsons. Well, I don't know how rich you think. No, like, how? Yeah. But but just the idea of like, hey, um, I'm a I'm a human being. This is an experience that I had. Yeah. This is an experience that a lot of people who who uh, are from a similar ethnic background had. Yeah, it's very human. You know, it's like it it's 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 a bummer. Like when you sit down and you talk, and your parents are there, and you talk to your parents, and they're like. You know, and they're just resigned of like, well, it doesn't really, yeah, no, it's not accurate at all, but it doesn't bother us because, right. you know, like, we, when we came here, we had to be careful. They didn't have the entitlement also. Right. Like, like, as Americans, we have an entitlement. Well, I deserve what everybody else gets. And for them, they're just happy to be here. Right. They're just happy to, you know, to, to make money and protect their families, man. It's, it was completely different. I mean, part of the film also is me being able to... Um, talk about my folks and how much I love my folks. And, and also, you know, I think part of me was embarrassed that I was embarrassed at any point. And it's a shame. I think there's always a certain point where people of color realize they're people of color. You don't, you know, it's not like 
you always knew, like, oh, I'm different. Especially, I grew up in Queens. Right. Like, I didn't, you know? Like, everybody was another person. And the, and the white people didn't call themselves white people. I didn't know anybody who was white. I did, but they were all Greek or Italian or yeah, Irish. And, right. like, yeah. you know, every, there's, it's such an ethnicized place. You don't just say you're white. That's, that's for the Midwest. That's not for New York. You right. know what I mean? Like, we own that identity. So it, it was just so different. I figured it out when I was watching TV, and I realized, oh, I don't exist here. Right. That's when I figured it out. And that's when you start to realize that, you know, uh, the rest of the country sees me as different. I don't get to be, you know. And then I went to college in Maine and it solidified it. But, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the theories were proven yeah. correct. Uh, and it's a, it's a bummer, too. But, but even, as, even as, like I said, as, you know, someone who's the whitest looking person in the world, there's still... And and if at any point I say anything that doesn't sound right to you or sounds tone deaf or whatever, please by all means call me out on it because there are certain things as a member of the you know the ethnic majority in this country yeah. that I just fundamentally can't really understand because I'm just, I've I've always been well, there's always been you know 300 million people who look like I do yeah, yeah so yeah. Uh, but it you know this this country really at least. It in all of this in the songs we were taught in school and the stories we were taught in school is supposed to be a melting pot. It's supposed yeah. to be a land of opportunity for everyone, yeah. and and yet there are certain cultural things that happen that that seem contrary to that. Yeah. yeah. So what's yeah. the like? What is the what? Are, what are what are some of the solutions? I mean, what what are some? I mean, you know, outside of the Simpsons. What do you see as being part of the solution uh, to try to get everything back? I mean, I think part of it is definitely diversifying what you watch on media. You know, try to see like films or shows which you normally wouldn't see because it forces you to be like, oh, these are all characters are all people of color. And I'm not in this and that's okay. You know, (laughs) that it doesn't need to be completely about me. Part of it, I think, just naturally... Like, it's really about money. At the end of the day, like, you know, people aren't creating these shows out of a sense of goodwill. It's because they're like, oh, they have money too? All right. Right. You know? Plus, it's not like the old days where you have a few cable channels and some broadcast and everybody wants the biggest piece of the pie. Now people want a piece of the pie. Right. So if you find that niche and and you reach that base, you have that piece. Right. And also, like I was saying before, our stories are have been suppressed for so long, that's, that's new, that's fresh. No one's ever done that before. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody wants that. So I, I feel like diversity is also beneficial from the point of view of, uh, of an industry. You want the next thing, and you have an audience that's bored of the same old things. We recreate everything. I mean, that's why the Apu voice lasted so long to begin with, why actors were being told to do it, because we do the same thing over and over and over again until it doesn't work anymore. Right. So, well, okay, I, that's not the action we want. We want the one that's on the show that everyone else does. Right. I mean, so I feel like a big part of it now, because media is so diversified, is it's just going to happen, and you just have to support those shows when they come out. Um, and also to, to your other point regarding like I'm not getting rich off this. I am not getting rich off this. <laughs> I cannot share my contract with you, <laughs> but, but I will not. tell you for a fact, <laughs> I am not getting rich off this. And uh, I don't, based on the details of my contract, in under no scenario will I get rich off. Well, this. I just I hope people can watch this. I hope that there are people who can watch this and not just take it as an immediate personal attack on something that they love and yes. watch it from the point of view of like this is a guy who is a human being who had this experience with this thing mm-hmm. and 
I should li- be, and he's allowed to tell you his experience, right. like without you feeling threatened. And I'm a comic. Yeah. Like, yes, that's the other thing that annoys me. For all the talk of like, you don't know how comedy works. I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. You don't know how satire works. Like, you know, like, I, I, look, comics are supposed to take challenging subjects and do the best. I mean, that's why you know when someone's a hack and when someone isn't because it's like, oh, you're doing that in the way that everyone else did it. Yeah, like this is not an easy thing to do. And again, mm-hmm. if you. If you, like, found some random guy who was bitching at you about, fuck you, you're trying to ruin, and you go, okay, and then you 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 just got some basic information about that guy's mom, and then, <laughs> and then you put on a wig, and the same kind of dress his mom would put on, and, like, you know, like, white, whited out your face a little bit, yeah. and just, like, did, like, a, put, like, an extra lipstick, yeah. and just started being like, you better come down. The guy would be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" It's yeah. like, That's... I, would, I would then be killed. But yes, but, yes, but it's like, but just for people who have a hard time understanding, it's like it, it is, it is, you know, it's it, it marginalizes your family, and you care about your family, yes. and and it hurts. Like it doesn't. It, I can't imagine that it feels great. Well, it's also kind of like you know when we talk about like police brutality and stuff. It's like you know how, why do these cops keep shooting black men? So well, how many images do they have in their head of black men, and what images do they have? What images do they grow up watching in the media? And this is all that we have. These like sh- sh- few number of images of violence and sure. gangs, and all of a sudden you have a gun on you and you're scared. What pops into your head? And that's another reason why representation is important because when you don't know a broad range of people especially look this is a segregated society and it's fucking sad but we live in a segregated country whether because of economics or like race and fear whatever it is there's a whole bunch of reasons but we don't mix the way we're supposed to mix and as a result like like media ends up dictating how we view other people and i think a lot about 9-11 because i remember after 9-11 i remember so many brown people being detained and deported and beaten up muslim sikh brown didn't matter right and I think, why? Why would in this when we're mourning as well? When I'm a New Yorker as well, born and raised, like why is this happening? And I think, well, what are the two major images of brown people in this country post 9/11? Right, right before that point, you had Apu from The Simpsons, harmless convenience store, you know, uh, owner, like no real impact, and you have terrorists. Right. Terrorist attack just happens. Which side are you going to err on right, at that right, point? Right. There's right. a huge range of humanity between those points right. that nobody thinks about. But with Las Vegas, for example, no one's going after every middle-aged white dude because it's like we know many middle-aged white dudes. Right. That would be an absurd idea. I, you know, you're, are you saying Tom Selleck and Ted Danson are the same? Right. Right. You know, right. like I don't know why those two. Exist. But I also yeah, yeah, mind, yeah. But one's got a mustache, idiot. <laughs> uh, Tom Selleck shaved his mustache. Get it right, Jonah. I watch Blue Bloods. I know. <laughs> Oh That's why Danson needs to grow the mustache. <laughs> yeah. But 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 to to your point about nine eleven, you in the documentary you talked yeah. about how for like four or five years preceding nine eleven, yeah. you were I guess supposed. I mean, I guess the way you had framed it was yeah. giving the audience what you thought they wanted, which yes. was an Indian comic doing st- Indian voices, and you know, stand up comedy is 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 very is is very interesting in terms of entertainment because you know diversity can be a real strength. Yes. Because, you know, there are so many white guy comics and it's like, well, how do you stand, you know, but if if you're diverse, it it immediately, you know, allows you to stand outside the pack a little bit, but also at what cost? Do you yeah, feel yeah. like, well, do I have to give what people expect people who look like me to do That's or right. can I just be a comic? Can yeah. I just be a comic? Right, with with the full range, right? Right. I mean, I think for me <sighs> 
all comics, I think, for the most part, when they start, are hacks. Right? right, we're all trying to make people laugh, and you do whatever you can because silence is the scariest thing in the world. <laughs> and you're an Indian kid, and there's no other examples. And the one thing I knew is that Indian accents work, and I knew that because I was a Simpsons fan. <laughs> oh shit! So it's oh like my God. this is uh. this is proven to be very effective as a weapon against me. So I will use this weapon to get laughter. And so that's what I did, you know, in addition to, like, taking Chris Rock and Margaret Cho jokes and adding the word Indian to them, essentially. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, like, that was, like, the early part. I mean, I think that the numbers were fudged a little bit uh, on our part in terms of the movie. It was more like two years of doing – I started when I was 17. The 9-11 happens. And then there was, like, two to three years of, like, me trying to write politically – but not wanting to get rid of the hacky stuff, sure. Because I, you know, I needed laughs. Yeah. So here's the stuff that's preachy that I don't know how to make funny yet, and uh, and then there's the because I remember I saw Paul Mooney do stand up for the first time, and I I, I never laughed so hard because I'm like you you can make people walk out, like white people can walk out, and you're okay. Yeah. And most of the audience was people of color, and I remember seeing that thinking, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to make people uncomfortable too. And the thing is, when I, when I tried to do stand-up after that, I, I came across as a like, 60-year-old black man in an Indian man's body trying to do stand-up because I was just trying to do Mooney. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you got to talk about your experiences. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the civil rights movement. I'm like, what are you – like, looking at it now, it's very embarrassing. So I was doing the civil rights movement, talking about – Poverty and injustice, and also my parents sound like this. Right. Like, it's like, <laughs> it, like there was such a. <laughs> it's just a little bit of a disconnect. Because like I need the laughs at the end of the day. <laughs> Everyone else is like, oh, what is he doing? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, his Here mom. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Play, yeah, it's basically like you know, it's like play the hit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear the new stuff. Yeah. Like just get to the hit. And yeah. you can go anywhere you want and just get no laughs, and you're like, it's like it's okay. I got the grenade in my back right right exactly yeah. like my my heart so goes out to you because you you know comedy is so hard as it is and you know like you can have a really good set but if you did material that you're not proud of to get that good set you can't chalk it up oh. to a win you can also have a set that doesn't go as well but if you believe in everything you're saying and you feel good about yeah. everything you were doing yeah, on stage yeah. then you're like well so they just didn't get this tonight. Yeah, and they can go okay. to hell. I know what I said was good. So, you yeah. know, knowing that you were in a position where you were like, I need to kind of sell this out a little bit so that I can feel like I is um, – that is a bummer. And I'm, I'm really sorry that you – but you – but at least you – that was part of your growth process. And at and least you, I was 17, 18, 19 versus like 28, 29, 30. Right, you know, right, like I, right. I figured that, that out fairly because I, I was always decent at writing a joke. I just didn't have anything to talk about and I, you know, I was a kid, right? Right. One thing that always that bummed me out and recently I've decided to change is like for the longest time I wouldn't talk about my family. And when I talked about race, I would talk about it more like in big terms without getting too specific. Yeah. Uh, just because I, I didn't want to be accused of being hacky. Right. And being like an ethnic hack. That was always the fear. Like, oh, well, don't talk about your parents ever. Just talk about race, but like not in any way that includes you. And then, you know, a few years ago, I'm like, people's parents are kind of important in their life. Yeah. They show up. They sometimes don't show up. They have important, like they shape you. Why am I not allowed to talk about my folks? It's really about how I talk about them. Mm -hmm. So now I, I talk about my family and my, my childhood experiences. I mean, I don't do them with accents. Right. First of all, because I can't do accents. <laughs> but when I did accents, ironically enough, I was just doing a, an impression of Hank Azaria. Right, right, <laughs> right. Because that's the only Indian accent I really know how to do. Really, right. right. So 
it's it's been kind of it's kind of sad but like i like the fact that finally i'm able after all these years to like take risks and feel like i don't need to be judged based on like xyz because there's enough of us now between kumail and mindy and aziz and hassan and asif and cal and you know a partner on chair like i don't need to think about oh if i i'm you know there was a certain point where i think the only it was like me it was me kumail aziz I think those were the. I think that was the only ones of us on TV for like four or five years. Yeah, and it was just like each one of those things is like a big thing. Like if I do a joke that even slightly seems hacky, then I, everybody has to deal with it, or like I look really terrible. Well, that's why it's yeah. really. That's why it's really helpful that, you know, like in Silicon Valley, Kumail's yeah. character has nothing to do with where he's from. Yes, he's just a nerd. Yes, and it's yes. like you know, it doesn't really matter that you know. That character could have been any ethnicity, and it would he would have been a nerd. You know, the fact that it's Kumail, yeah. he's a comic genius, so it, it it's amazing. But but the more the more that's just folded in, and it's like the more you know the Brasco yeah. people, it just kind of like makes them colorblind and like, oh, this is just, he's just a guy, he's yeah. just a nerd. Well, I, what I love though is I love the have, you've seen the Big Sick, right? Yeah, of course. Oh, my, what I love about the Big Sick is that it's this perfect melding of him being a guy just a human falling in love but like his ethnicity is still part of, a key part of who he is so you get to see a full person it's not someone hiding and it's not a person who's afraid of who they are it's both right you get like this full human being and i think that's what we want more than anything in the world like there's this uh, musician I, I love his name is jay paul he's like one of those mysterious like salinger types mm-hmm. who like releases something and disappears for years um, like he had this album that was in the works years ago, and then someone leaked it, and he's been missing for five years now. <laughs> since <laughs> but his stuff—he's like a British like DJ musician, and it's this incredible mix of like hip hop and electronic and old Bollywood music, and his beautiful like almost R and B type singing. And I'm like all mixed into one thing, and I'm listening to this, and I'm like, this is what I want for my comedy. I want to be my full self. I want all that stuff. I want the Indian stuff. I want this, all the stuff I was influenced with growing up. I want the things I'm worried about. I want anger. I want sadness. Like, I want the full range of human emotions and experiences. And I hear his music, and I'm like, that's what I want, like, to be everything. Yeah. Because that, we're all everything. We're not just one thing or another. We're, like, all those things at the same time. And I think some of that also just comes with, like, the age. You're at, like, 35. Yeah. Y- you get some wisdom. You get some some perspective. Yes. And, and, you, and you're able to... You've had enough experience at that point where you're able to have the point of view where you can talk about things authentically. Because yes. you start to become more comfortable with who you are. And you start to get a real sense of who, how, how the world is. Yes. And you're not so scared in it anymore. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm what was your moment? Like, what for you? What was the thing where, like, okay, I, 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 this is who I am. I'm going to talk about this, and this is one of those bits where I'm like, I wouldn't have done it well, or I wouldn't have done it at all. If uh, I well, did it, it was my dad dying suddenly. Right. It was where it was like, oh, can I talk about this? I'm like, well, this is an experience that I had. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and other people have it, and and I want to demystify it in some way, yeah. and it's a part of this process, and uh, you know. Because, you know, after you, and, and Jonah knows too, unfortunately, quite recently, but when something like that happens, it puts everything into perspective because then, you know, you can get really upset about some dumb thing and you're like, oh, well, at least this isn't my dad dying, you know, like it, it and so it, it does create a, a, a little bit of perspective and reflection and a little, it, that, that you didn't really have before because right. 
you know, when you're younger, you just you just take everything for granted because you yeah. just think yeah. everything's permanent. And yeah, yeah. when you start to realize, it, it's really the the thing that kind of starts to drive your midlife crisis is actually <laughs> weirdly kind of thing that gives you yeah. reflection. Yeah, because it's the really the midlife crisis is really the first time in your life where you go. Oh, this isn't forever. There's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's an end point, and yeah. I'm like halfway there. Right. Like if I double the age I'm at now, right. I'm probably dead. You right. know. <laughs> and, and so that that is what gives you a sense of humanity and mortality, and and I think that's where where the the ability to go deeper comes from because you're just not as caught up in stupid things anymore i think I mean, yeah. I, still get, I still get caught up in dumb things i'm not it didn't cure every problem but it just it created a little more reflection than i had had before and you were able after that you've been able to get a lot more personal like when you're on stage yeah yeah, yeah. and and you know and, and it and it's and it feel it feels better and and there are times when people don't laugh as hard because it it's like, well, that's, you know, yes, there's a human thing to take away, but that's also very personal and maybe yeah. they, you know, so it's finding like, can you talk about things that challenge people and are a little uncomfortable, eh, but ultimately you can take them through it. And I think that's really the master, that's becoming like the the comedy Gandalf is the right, right, process right, right, of right, 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 knowing right. how to take people to an uncomfortable place, yeah. but then, and that's the thing, like Patton is so... Yeah. Yes, it's so. It's just like he's Dumbledore. Like he's yeah. just he's masterful oh, that at last special. My God, that was insane. And so you just can't, you know. But that's learned. Yes, uh, because you just have to. You just have to get through that. You just have to get through that process. But you know, when you were talking about Camille before, and particularly the big sick, the the part where you really go, holy shit! You, you just don't think about the struggles that people have of. You know, being a first-generation American. Yeah. Oh, I and, thought you were kind of talking about Kurt's character. No. Right. <laughs> Kurt really had a struggle yeah. in there. <laughs> but be, being a first-generation American and being in this weird purgatory place where it's like, well, the white pe- you're a little bit of an outsider to the white people because your your skin is brown and right. you're a little bit of an outsider to your, the people who are from. You're, where your parents are from because you're American. Right. And so you're just in this weird place of like, well, where do I, where do I fit in? Right. You know, like right. how can I make, how can I just be a person? Plus he's dealing with like the religious aspect too, which God, he, I mean that, those scenes where he's like pretending to pray, I'm like, those are unbelievable. Like that's so, or there's this one part right when uh, he finally talks to his parents and confronts them and tells them the truth. And he says this one line that I, I I'm like, that is so cool. He put that in where he says like, you know, you know, you know he, how he says he doesn't believe in Islam. He's like, you know, Islam it was great for you. It made you into the great people that you are. And I'm like, that is such an important yeah. thing because it tells you, like, this is somebody who's not saying, I'm choosing this over this. And he's saying that this is all part of who I am and because and, you're part of who I am. And so I love you and this is good for you. So it's not me running from the religion. It's just not me. I'm just, I'm like that level of depth. Yeah. Like I'm just like I I never thought we'd get to a place where we'd see a scene like that. Like I saw that and I'm like holy yeah. crap. That was a great scene. It's well, nuts. But also, you know, um if there had been better representation when you were growing up, do you think you would have still pursued comedy or do you think you would have huh. do you think you would have and I'm not not that I'm saying like hey, it's great that no, you had to grow no, up no, feeling no. weird. But you know, um, but I think a lot of comedians become comedians because they're uncomfortable or because they're trying to deal with, 
you know, all the things we feel like uh, self-hatred or like anger or like whatever it is that we're trying to deal with, um, you know, but the fact that you're able to take those emotions and try to spin it in a way that is relatable and also educational, but makes people think, but makes people laugh at the same time. You know, like what? What do you, do you have any thoughts on that as I, an idea? I, I, I'm just thinking about it now because I've never thought about that. Like, if there was more, would I be who I was? Because I remember the, the the reason I wanted to start doing stand up is I saw Margaret Cho do stand up because she had that old. Um, you remember that leather body suit HBO yeah, special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She talks about the ass master and her mom being in charge <laughs> of the, the gay porn section of the bookstore in San Francisco. Is that the one where she where she says like her mom doesn't understand her gay friends? She's like, oh, I'm going to hang out with oh, my friend. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Is he the, I'm not going to do her voice. Is, is he the gay? Yeah. I don't know if he's the okay. gay. Yeah, he's like one guy in a parade. Hey, everybody. And she talks about her brother being super Christian. Like, Margaret, Margaret, <laughs> have you chosen Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? God. I, uh, I mean, I just remember seeing that. And, you know, just growing up seeing, like, black, white, Latino stand-ups, it's like, holy crap. Asian-American woman talking about her family and a bunch of other stuff. Like, she's still groundbreaking. Um, and, and I was just like, I mean, it was the most inspiring thing in the world. So if we had more, would that have inspired me, I wonder? Or would somebody else have? And part of me is like, do stand-ups have no choice? Like, is it just so in you that you just have to? I think so. And I, the reason that I think it is, and the reason why anyone who says, I'm thinking about trying stand-up, I go, do it. Try it like a hundred times and see yes. how you feel. Because yes. I think only a, only someone... Because I think stand-up is a little bit of a flaw. When people go, wow, how can you do stand-up? I go, it's... I don't think I chose it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think I know that if I don't do it, I don't I feel weird. Like I need to. You it's that thing of, you know, bombing in front of three people yes. at a laundromat yes. and hating yourself yeah. and going, <laughs> I have to do this again yeah. tomorrow night. That is the fundamental thing that we're sick. Yeah. We're sick. It is yeah, a yeah. sickness. Yes. It's a weird thing to do to go, I'm gonna get up in front of strangers yeah. and create a response that means that they like me. Right. You know, like but don't you have friends and family that you make laugh and love? Yes, but it's not enough. It doesn't. It's like when your mom is like, you're handsome. It doesn't count. Yes. I want people who don't really know or care about yes, me. I need their approval. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's funny because I feel like I tried to run away from stand-up so many times. Like, I remember, like, after I did in high school, I'm like, ah, I'm not going to do it through college. Then I went to college in Maine. I'm like, oh, I'm the only brown one. I gotta do stand up. This is the only way where I get to choose how I want to stand up. Right. But it, then I'm like, ah, then I quit. And then I, I'd read, you know, I'd seen how the New York scene worked. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm not gonna make my friends buy 40 tickets so I could do five minutes. <laughs> Bring her shows. I don't have enough friends to keep this going. And so then I went to Seattle to be an immigrant rights organizer and, you know, small scene. I'm like, all right, I do comedy at night. And I got discovered by, uh, J.P. Buck at the HBO oh, yeah, Comedy yeah, Festival. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And, he's a Conan uh, now. Uh, Conan, he's yeah. still, I mean, he's the one who found me in Seattle when you can discover people for the internet was such a, like, you just look at people's YouTube right. clips. And I, I was on Kimmel and I had a manager and it was like, this wasn't the plan at all. And even then I was, you know, I already had gotten into this grad school program at the London School of Economics for a human rights master's degree. So I ended up going there because I didn't think this comedy thing was real because like they never let us in before. Like you're telling me I can do this now. How far did you get with that program? Finished it. So you have your master's degree in human rights. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I really, I didn't. That's how much I didn't trust stand up. <laughs> where I'm like, this is not gonna, this isn't gonna happen. In the middle, I hadn't done stand up for six months, and then all of a sudden, I get uh, live at Gotham 
you know, the old showcase right. on Comedy Central. I hadn't done stand-up forever. I had to go. I missed a unit of class. I missed my South African Truth and Reconciliation unit. <laughs> Flew back to New York. Had to relearn my act. Wow. Do it on TV. Go back and finish my dissertation. And didn't do stand-up again for like four months. Oh, my god! And then I decided, like, they opened a door. I don't know why this is open right now. It felt disrespectful to all the comics I knew in Seattle who were like the real road dogs, who had never been on TV, who were damn good comics. Like people think if you're on TV, you're a great comic. That doesn't mean you're a great comic. There's a bunch of comics who just for whatever reason couldn't break through. Right. For whatever reason. And and there's a wide range that we know of why that can happen. But like, yeah, I mean, like it felt like they busted their ass for 15, 20 years and haven't gotten this. And I just was given this and I'm supposed to walk away from it. Right. And like... All these years, like, this thing seemed so far away because, like, nobody wants to listen to me and, and I, why on earth would I do it? Now, all of a sudden, you're telling me I have it? Yeah. I, they're, they're letting me do it. Like, I have the infrastructure of a career. Wow. And so you must – do you feel a greater sense of responsibility having the education that you have with that particular subject matter yeah. of how do I use comedy to promote – Human rights. No, no, no. Because it's too, it, you know, stand up is too egocentric to be. We're egomaniacs. <laughs> if you add the world changing element, the level of power is sick. You can't. I try to think of each, it's one joke at a time, one show at a time. Like at the end of the day, if it's not funny, if it's not making people laugh, it's not working and you can't use that joke. It's right. about making it work. And you know, it's not to say if it doesn't work, I'm going to change my whole act in front of an audience. It'll be my point of view, but I'm going to make the jokes work somehow. That has to be my job. Mm-hmm. And that's all I think about it. I don't see myself as a, an activist doing comedy or, or anything else. I'm a comedian. Like, that's it. And that's how I try to approach it. I'm just like everybody else, except this is my, this is my point of view. Well, when you start out doing comedy, it's just to go back to what you said about you know having to invite 40 friends, you're, you're chasing audience because you need an audience to oh, perform. God. No one knows who you are, yes. so why would they come see you if they don't know who you are? And then you get to a certain point, and I think this also helps with doing the more personal material, where you can sit back a little bit. And let the audience come to you. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and that's kind of – that's refreshing. It's spoiling. I mean it can be very different if you go into a room where people don't know you and you've been performing in front of your people for a, like your own yes. crowd for a while. And you're like, these people don't give a shit. I have to prove to them that I'm OK. But, um, but it, being in that place where it, it's freeing because you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And yeah. it's like, well, if you don't want to stay, uh, don't, there are many fine comedy choices for right, you in this right. world. And then it's just each time you go through a city, you'll pick up a few more people and a that's few right. more people and a few more people. That I feel like that the place I'm at right now is like there's certain cities where I'm playing to the home crowd, right? right? But you know, I just did Dead Crow in Wilmington, which is a great club, by the way. It's a small room, wonderful club, but that's like that's not a, a home run city for me. It's like a purple, like some some people are real, but they're real. <laughs> it could go either way, and, and you know, and none of those shows were easy, and they all went well. Because I had to work. I had yeah. to work, but I still made it work. And I feel prouder of that than the other things. The other things, you're on autopilot. You know, you can dick around. You can do whatever you want. And those, it's like, you're on. If you're not on, you're not going to win. Yeah. And, you know, that's when I feel the proudest. It's like, oh, okay, I got I, I They didn't laugh at that. I found a way out of it. I found a way to, <laughs> the next show, I found a way to explain that concept in a way they got. So now I have a better way of explaining the joke to set it up. And, like, I mean, that's where the real work is. But you're right. I think when you get so used to 
playing for like doing home games when you're away you're like i don't know i don't know what's all right. <laughs> why are they talk why are you talking right guys, now guys it's me it's me <laughs> oh yeah we don't know who you I'm, are it's, oh, me, it's, it's npr's me. hurry Kundabol. i don't understand <laughs> terry oh, gross me. anybody national public rodeo no it's <laughs> national public oh, radio <laughs> radio uh, but this was really the wrong crowd I love the, their show, This American Life. This, ma- <laughs> <laughs> this is This American Life reminding you oh, that please let you might yeah, please right, yeah. be a redneck. that does that. <laughs> You're listening to Bob Wills and his Texas State. <laughs> right yeah, yeah that, that'd be... God, that's... Why? Where is that? Where is that? That, that should exist. Someone needs to make that. <laughs> Pronto. Is, is National Public Radio real? Uh, ro- rodeo real? Tell me that. Real. I don't think it's real. No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's real. I don't think it's real. Uh, I want it to exist the way like there was two WWFs for a while, right? The, the World Wildlife Federation, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and somehow the wildlife won. Yeah. yeah. Holy crap! Yeah, they had yeah. there was it was a cage match. Right. Uh, and, uh, Panda beat the Undertaker. Yeah. And uh, and so Panda won. Yeah. yeah. The, panda, <laughs> the actual Panda. Uh, the actual Panda <laughs> won. But you know, sort of. Do you? And by the way, oh, I didn't even mention the fact that Cal Penn is hilarious. So it, funny because he just flat out goes, "Oh, I hate the Simpsons." You know, because Carhari goes, "Yeah, well, you know, my friend." He goes, "Oh, I hate it. I fucking hate it. I don't oh, like it. He really hates it. Never liked it." And Harry goes, "Yeah, but there's so many good." He goes, "I can't get around it. I just can't get around it. Which just he, hates it." He's older than us, right? Yeah, because he also ta- he's the Monkey Brains generation, yeah. right before me. So I That's think right. for him, he was right. already oh worn Temple out. of Doom, like, Temple, Temple of Doom, yeah. short circuit. He was right? done with that. Yeah. But by the time Apu came around, this was just an extension of those experiences. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh yeah, that's where he has the guy on the street who his favorite indie. <laughs> Indeed, character, and he goes, the guy from Short Circuit. I was like, those fishers. Oh, that's oh, the yeah. trailer. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I didn't figure. I mean, I didn't figure that dude was an Indian until like three or four years ago. I really, I'm like, where'd that actor go? Yeah, I never thought about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he got banned from India for over a decade after oh, that. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, because it's like, really, you're gonna do this to us? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you had a billion choices here. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was there not enough choice? Right. There was not enough choice. I guess. Yeah. I'm sorry. If only there was some massive industry of film. <laughs> I mean, how could we at all? So, and I don't know. So, uh, I mean, you know, what, what are you, what are you hoping happens? Yeah. from this because I know one of the one of the three. I want a TV show. You want a TV show? Okay, mm-hmm. great. Yeah, that's what I want. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> well, one of the through lines is is again. This, still, you should watch this, even though uh, even though we're talking about this. Yeah. But it's will or will Hank Azaria not show up in the in the documentary, and and he does not. Yeah. Um, it, which you know, it's funny because uh, to me, I understand your frustration, but I also understand why he doesn't do it because. I guess from his point of view, especially in a world now where like outrage just it's just like right. spins so fast and right. it's like. Oh, I had a career like an hour ago, right, right. and I don't now. You know, um, you know, if he saw your initial piece on Totally Biased, where you're like, I want to kick the shit out of Hank Azaria, yeah. or I want to think about kicking the shit out of Hank Azaria, yeah. it's really funny. He's probably just scared, you know? He's just like, I don't know how, the, how you're going to edit this, or I don't know how this is going to come off. Like, how do, you, how do you feel about that now? Well, I feel like, honestly, I feel like it wasn't his best interest to be in it, because I think you get points for trying. Of you course. always get points for trying, and also you, you control the narrative more than you think, because we have archival stuff. I mean, that, that wasn't the issue, and the movie would have felt different if he was in it. And I think some people are like, well, it's better that he wasn't in it, because you had such a fun ending. And I'm like, I, I would have rather had a, an adult discussion that is full of variables that could have been great for comedic possibilities in addition to showing like 
and is interested. Hey, look at two adults having a conversation about something that is not the most important thing in the world that they have a disagreement on, and they come to some kind of resolution, even if they're not in agreement. Like, but does he? Ha- but he doesn't have the power to decide. I guess he. No, I guess but, he could if he was like, "Hey, you know what, Fox? Uh, maybe I'll do every other character this. for you, right? But you know, maybe this one we should really not. Maybe I shouldn't and, do this. And one at the anymore. end of the way, at the end of the day, you know, I, you know, for the sake of the plot, you need to push something. Th- through like there has to be a through line we got to find him you know like a roger and me thing but i to me it's like i just wanted the conversation because it would have been an interesting like do you feel weird about doing it what is it like to do it and also it's not your best accent and you know that so does that kill you because you know you could do a different one and like there's all these questions that i just would have been cool and i talked to him on the phone actually afterwards no like during we didn't put it on on the thing because it was um the cameras weren't there it was just me and my apartment he wanted to have a conversation yeah so uh we exchanged numbers and uh, we were on the phone and he was really kind and he was saying how he had seen my piece and he'd watched a ton of my stand-up since then and he really likes what I do and like I'm geeking out it's hard it, not to be yeah, yeah, yeah I'm like that's the voice of Mo like yeah, the whole yeah, yeah. time it's like this is the mo- this is so fucking cool and also like you're in Gross Point Blank I love Gross Point Blank um, it's also in Ray Donovan yeah <laughs> And so, like, I'm, you know, geeking, but at the same time, like, I'm like, I really want him to be in the film. And he said that uh, he came up with a compromise, which I thought was a, a good compromise, which is if we if we find another forum, like uh, whether it's WTF with Mark Maron or Terry Gross or whatever it is, we find a place where there's like a, a third party recording. That way I can't really fuck with the edit because there's proof, right? There's an actual long recording. And and I said yes, because I think that the movie's partly about accountability it's about how people can reconcile and, you know, find some common ground. And, you know, I, I was cool with that. I'm like, let's do that. And I don't know if he expected me to say yes. Because then, you know, a couple of months later, he's like, I can't do it. Oh, he did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the thing I read in the, in, the, um, in the movie. Like, after I said it, he still said no. So he, you didn't really exchange any thoughts on the subject while you were on the phone. It was just more about if we were going can to talk do, about this, yeah. what would it, what would it yeah, be? Yeah, and I really still want to talk about it. I still think it would be fun to have a, a really interesting conversation. Because, again, I'm not really angry. It's been 30 years. We're in a different point in, uh, you know, in, in the history of media and in our country. Like, to me, this is just like... Hey, people, look at look at the fact that, you know, you're calling this a politically correct movie and we're talking about this old character. But look at how the person who does the voice and the person who has the issue with it are talking and coming up with some ideas. And right. that would I think that just would have been cool for people to see. People, nobody sees that. Nobody sees like a civil, thoughtful conversation. I've been dying. And, and I, I, I feel like it was like two years ago. I said it would be really great to have a podcast just called like. Civil discourse, ah. and no one's ever allowed to yell. Is that everyone yes. like that? That it even if you're on completely opposite sides of yeah. an issue, yeah, 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 that you you have to do it like couples counseling, yeah, where someone says, "Okay, I hear what you're saying, yeah," but because because you know it, you, the best, I think the best way to really communicate with people is not to. Say you, 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 but say I, I, I. This is how I feel. This is how I feel, and this makes me feel. Because everyone understands feelings. Like, everyone has feelings. So, you know, much in the way that if people watch this documentary and look at it from not the point of view of, like, you know, you shouldn't or you – of just, like, I am a human who had this experience, and I feel this way, and here's why. And I think it's very hard for someone to be like, fuck that guy. It's like, but he had this experience, like, his whole life. What do you – 
can't discount that he feels this way. Right. And and for the people who do discount it, I mean, I don't even, I feel like, well, there's nothing you could have done at that point. Right. Right. I mean, wait, so with that idea, like, how extreme would the pairings be? Would it be like Anthony from Opie and Anthony and like Angela Davis? Like, what would the... <laughs> I have no idea because I don't know... I think you'd I think you'd really have to experiment with the dynamic first of all with some softer ideas to just huh. to see if it works. Yes. You know because our, our culture now is such a um it's such a toxic finger in the chest culture. Yeah. That I, I mean I even find I even find that, like there are people online that I agree with where I'm like, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. we could talk like you, we could talk. Like but I think people now because it's so it, it's so much more about getting your voice heard above the noise that you just have to be noisier and noisier and noisier. Yeah. And that unfortunately does not pave the way for understanding or conversation. Yeah. And so I think you'd have to really see if the if it even worked, if you could get to get two people who didn't agree on something, and they don't have to agree by the end, right. but it's just the idea that they have to face each other and talk like human beings, not that fucking CNN style thing where they're again they're in separate studios, they're yeah. shouting at a camera. Yeah, yeah, it's so much different when you're interfacing with a machine than when you actually. It can't feel like an old school wrestling promo. It can't. Yeah. It can't feel like a promo, but just to and you really would need like someone to moderate it, who could pull the humanity out of both sides yeah. and like like a, like a marriage counselor or someone who or a therapist or funches. someone yeah funches <laughs> funches, could funches always... or gondelman i feel like those are the two, <laughs> two nicest guys in comedy yeah. okay I think calm down <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> uh, so what is uh, what, so what is uh, so what are you doing like what's what's next this is going to air on sunday are yes. you are you nervous about it airing cuz you put so much work like it's like this is it it's actually yeah. people are going to get to see it now no i'm i'm not nervous i mean cuz i think i've gotten so much awful hate from people who haven't seen it yet that i'm like how how much worse can it get that's just the internet a- a- yeah, yeah. At this point, it'll be like critical, like the stuff that's thoughtful and critical. Like, wanna, just wanna, like, what if you watched it and then got mad? Like, it's okay to get right, mad, right, right, right. But maybe just it, consume the thing, like and half then half you your could... concerns are addressed in the thing. <laughs> I, don't just, I spent a lot of time I trying. To... I don't. It's not politically correct. Who makes a politically correct documentary that takes a year and a half to finish right. and requires money and time? Like, right. it's not <laughs> like it's not worth it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I can't wait for it to get out and see where those conversations go. And then, you know, I'm planning to tape a special at the end of the year. So I'm like gearing up and touring and getting ready for that whole process. Well, awesome. I, I'm such a fan of yours and I'm so, oh, it was so, it was such a great piece and I'm so, uh, I'm so happy that you were able to make it. And, and I really do thank you for the opportunity to kind of <clears throat> explore something that was kind of yeah. just on autopilot in my head and go like, Oh yeah! Wait a minute. You know, it was it was a really fun Dude, experience. Thank you. I mean, honestly, and I've you know, it's funny because I feel like you know, obviously, I've done the show and I've known you for a minute, but yeah. I, I feel like we never really have had a conversation before. Did we meet the first? Was it John, John Oliver's? Oliver's yeah, season one. Yeah, oh, wow. two thousand nine. Yeah, nineteen. And Kristen's parents were there. Yes, Kristen and, Shaw's parents were there, and they liked my hair, and and I. <laughs> it was the sweet. Her mom was so nice. Uh, her dad too, and uh, I, I just remember like you know we never have had a conversation really since because you know the show's happening and I go in and, and you're I, East Coast, a lot and I'm East Coast, and, and they're all West Coast yeah, people, so there's Coast. like I don't know the scene here as much, and so this really felt nice. So I'm thank you so for inviting me to your home. It was an absolute pleasure. And, I hope people yeah. watch the special, and also I used to the other thing that I would geek out on you about is that uh, your brother is in the band Das Racist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I saying it right? Das Racist. Uh, das Racist. Das Racist. Yeah. 
Uh, it's from the Wonder that? Shows. Yeah, yeah, in, uh, yeah, yeah. From the Wonder Shows in episode where the kids like that's racist. Yes. yes yeah. Yeah. Are they yeah. still touring? Oh, they broke up a long time ago. Thank okay. God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that that was enough of that. Yeah. But yeah. no. But uh, Hamanchu's doing his own thing. Vic's doing his thing, and my, my brother's been. Uh, you know, he's working on his own TV projects and stuff. That's fantastic. So, yeah. There's yeah. no longer a combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Taco Bell went the other way. Uh, it was nice. It, those moments were hard when he was more famous than I was. For a brief <laughs> when he got on Conan before I did, it was. I've been working so. This is my dream thing to get on Conan more than anything in the whole world, and you just stumbled into it. Uh, you just na- you just named a business, yeah. <laughs> and that gets you on Conan now. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, Chris. And, I know, appreciate it, man. Anything we can do for you, please let me know. Absolutely, dude. Thank right. you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.